2: Yesterday, there was a tragic in, uh, car accident involving three of the leading people in our New Zealand Chinese community, Mr Wang Lecheng and Mr Shi Wei Guo, sadly passed away, and Mr Freeman Yu, who is the Secretary General of the New Zealand Values Alliance. He is seriously injured and in hospital.
1: It's the 23rd of July 2020, and the Justice Select Committee is meeting at Parliament. The politicians sit around a paper-strewn table in a wood-panelled room. This is the day after the accident, and the men who died were travelling to this very meeting.
3: The MPs are investigating interference in New Zealand politics, and appearing before the committee is Anne-Marie Brady, a Professor of China Studies at Canterbury University in Christchurch.
1: She's far and away New Zealand's leading voice on China. In fact, she's a leading international expert on the CCP, and Anne-Marie Brady also considers herself part of New Zealand's
2: Chinese community. This is my community food. So my children and my husband are all Chinese.
3: She had a close relationship with those prominent members of the Chinese dissident community who were killed and injured, trying to bring their message to the New Zealand government. And
2: they were on their way here to make a petition to parliament to plead with you all to please take the issue of China's political interference in our democracy seriously.
1: When she finishes up, the questions from the MPs begin. Was Mr Freeman and his colleagues specifically travelling at the time of the accident for the purposes of the petition Yes. seeking uh, to question the Communist Party's activities in New
2: Zealand? Yes, they're on their way here. Do you have any concerns about um, the accident itself? There is a lot of debate in our New Zealand Chinese community, very, very worried that there could have been sabotage involved in the accident, you know, whether there is or not. The fact that 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 was an instant response of the people in that community shows how vulnerable they feel, how unsafe they feel.
3: Emery Brady tells the MPs that a police investigation into the accident is not enough.
2: I do think that SIS
1: should look into it. She believes it needs the scrutiny of New Zealand's spy agency, the SIS.
3: Are we paranoid?
2: The things that were happening to me breaking into my office and a series of other events, they were designed to scare me. Or
1: is the Chinese Communist
4: Party out to get us? The choice is not between Washington and Beijing. The choice is between sovereignty and servitude.
3: From RNZ and Bird of Paradise Productions. This is Red Line. I'm John Daniel.
1: And I'm Guyan Espiner. In this four-part series, we're asking, can New Zealand continue to walk the thin red line between what some
2: see as an evil empire? We know that they are slaves. We also know that they're being used to harvest organs.
3: But others see as our greatest economic opportunity and the centre of a new world order. I do have a lot of respect
5: for the things that they're doing. I mean, they have a vision. They are literally going to build a kind of platform but from China through to Europe.
3: Professor Anne-Marie Brady's best-known thesis is called Magic Weapons, China's Political Influence Activities Under Xi Jinping. It was published in 2017. In it, she writes, China's covert, corrupting and coercive political influence activities in New Zealand are now at a critical level.
1: The magic weapon in this case is a Chinese Communist Party agency called the United Front, a government organisation whose job is propaganda, outreach and influence. It's an organisation that we're going to get to know well in the next episode. But Anne-Marie Brady says New Zealand appears to have been a test zone for many of China's United Front efforts in recent years.
3: And she was quite insistent during that Justice Select Committee meeting at Parliament that politicians aren't listening – Anne-Marie Brady says they're not paying enough attention to what our security services have been telling them about the United Front's infiltration of our politics.
2: You are not listening to the advice of SIS, who have given you very clear information about the threat of these proxy groups and the impact that it has on our society.
3: Professor Brady is a renowned expert who plays a key role in this story.
1: She's something of a polarising
2: figure, but she's
1: right about the suspicions in the New Zealand Chinese community about these deaths. In the months following the July 2020 crash, the dissidents gather in their West Auckland house and talk to us about their fears.
0: This car accident is not a simple accident. Our people sacrificed for defending the value, the freedom, and the democracy of New Zealand. And uh, uh, it's also quite a serious situation that in New Zealand, such a freedom country, and we need to use our lives to defend our value, our freedom.
1: For David Ding, who saw firsthand how the student revolt was crushed at Tiananmen Square in 1989... So bloody, so sad. ...this car crash has another sinister echo. Ten years ago, he returned to China to visit a sick relative. He says the CCP security forces warned him about his activism in New Zealand and implied other dissidents around the world had been killed under the cover of a car accident.
0: They ask me, do you know the crash in Thailand? Okay. Do you know the crash in uh, America? Okay. You know? Okay. Very good. So you should be careful. They tell me I should be careful.
3: David is also worried when the car his friends were driving crushed early in the police investigation.
0: The
1: dissidents had wanted to take the wreck to the US. Firstly, they hoped American experts could examine it for signs of foul play. And after that, they planned to have the car turned into a memorial.
0: We want to keep the car to, as a forever memory of this event.
3: One of the prominent New Zealand dissidents here in the West Auckland house is writer Chen wei Jin. His brother, Chen Wei Ming, a New Zealand citizen, runs a sculpture park in the Californian desert and is famous for his political artworks.
1: Yeah, he made the Tank Man sculpture complete with a replica tank. This was a couple of years back now. It was to commemorate the 30th anniversary of the Tiananmen Square Massacre. The idea was that he would create a piece of art using the damaged car.
3: But those plans for a symbolic tribute have been dashed, as have their hopes for an independent expert to investigate the wreckage. Anne-Marie Brady says that's a worry.
2: I am very concerned that a um, in any criminal investigation you don't destroy evidence. So uh, it's a bit confusing to think that the car has been um, destroyed so soon after the accident. So yeah, that's also a, a bit, bit, bit worrying too, that there isn't consultation about um, crushing the car.
3: At the time of the crash in July 2020, Those fears of possible CCP interference were big headlines.
2: A car crash that's killed two prominent members of the Chinese pro-democracy movement has sparked accusations of sabotage, MPs have been told. The crash involved three vehicles. Police won't confirm who else was in them. Officers are now investigating. National MP Nick Smith asked if it should go higher. I do think that SIS should look into it as well.
1: While the dissidents believe the CCP is capable of sabotaging a car, they never actually claim this car crash was a murder. They are suspicious, for sure. But through interpreter David Tang, they say they're willing to wait for the evidence.
0: It's difficult to give you uh, such a conclusion that the uh, uh, Chinese government or military involved in this accident. Uh, 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 this work needs to be made by the New Zealand Police Enforcement or National Security uh, Department.
1: But as 2020 draws to a close, the local police in Tokoroa, a Waikato town with a population of about 14,000, have finished their investigations.
3: The police say this was simply an accident. A car coming the other way has crossed the centre line, clipped another vehicle travelling south and lost control before hitting the dissident's car. The two activists have become two of the hundreds of New Zealanders who die in road accidents every year.
1: And on December 19th, 2020, a 52-year-old local woman named Siobhan Chettleborough pleads guilty in the Tokoroa District Court to dangerous driving. Tragic? Yes. But a CCP murder plot? No. Now, you won't have heard about that because there was no reporting in the New Zealand media at all about the outcome of that police investigation or the court case. You'd probably put that down to a lack of media resources, a small-town court case close to Christmas. It went unnoticed.
3: Yeah, but you can see how that would infuriate the Chinese government and the embassy here. They are very tight-lipped as a rule. They wouldn't talk to us for the series, and they weren't keen to talk at the time of the crash. But they did issue a written statement calling Anne-Marie Brady's comments about the crash groundless and without any proof. It's voiced here by RNZ's Jonathan Mitchell. Our ambassador has made it clear time and time again that China adheres to the principle of non-interference and we have never done anything to interfere with the political system of New Zealand and we have also never done such things as so-called sabotage the Chinese community as alleged by the professor. And they'd be right to be angry, and I can understand why they would be mistrustful of the media. If you're prepared to run these very serious accusations, it seems to me you have to follow up when they're proved false. Even the dissidents, who have good reason to be suspicious, are now convinced that this was just an accident.
1: Yeah, David Tang, the interpreter for the dissidents, says... They're satisfied that this rules out foul play by the CCP. Freeman Yu, he was the guy badly injured in this accident. He emailed me to say he was satisfied there was nothing more sinister at work here.
3: Yeah, and you got the court file, right?
1: Yep, I've got the official record. It's all there. Chetelborough was driving a 2016 Holden, Colorado utility. She was approaching Tokoroa from the south, and on a slight bend she drifted across the centre line, causing this fatal accident. Her own daughter was in the car and suffered serious injuries, so it's inconceivable that this was somehow engineered by sinister forces.
3: Now, Anne-Marie Brady wanted the SIS to investigate.
1: Yeah, you talked to the SIS about that, didn't
3: you? Yeah, officially they did their usual spook thing, and said they could neither confirm nor deny whether they had even investigated at all. But background chats I've had suggest that, while they do take Professor Brady's ideas about Chinese interference very seriously, the SIS don't consider that this was some sort of political assassination. But what about Anne-Marie Brady herself?
1: Well, this is the fascinating thing. Despite the police investigation and the court case and what the dissidents say, Anne Marie Brady still thinks there's a possibility of sabotage.
2: The concerns about sabotage were not just about that particular, you know, incident of the, the you know, the car that uh, crashed into mm. the truck and then into their vehicle, but could there have been sabotage on their tyres or any other kind of thing which would make, the, if there was, you know, an accident, that make it a fatal one. So these are the kind of um, concerns that people were asking the police and SACER to look in, to look at it, to cell phone coverage and to tracking the movements of the um, the car that two yeah. men who who died were in. We don't have access yeah. to what was found there. So I, I think, you know, it'll be one of those ones. We don't know the answer.
1: That's still an open question for you? You still think that's possible there that was sabotage there or...? I,
2: I, I don't know, and I, you know, I never said you know one no. way or the other. I just, um, as I was, I relayed when I was asked about it in the Justice mm. Select Committee. I, 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 said that you know that you have to look into it, and that this, and but also, that we should hear that what this community is telling us: we don't feel safe here.
1: More than that, Anne Marie Brady implies that even if the SIS did suspect that the CCP had something to do with this accident the New Zealand government might not want to speak out for diplomatic reasons.
2: It's not the UK and the Novichok poisonings. We're a small state and we are dealing with a very aggressive foreign power.
1: So what do you make of that?
3: I think Anne-Marie Brady's drawing a long bow. There's no evidence at all of sabotage, so the Novichok poisoning in the UK is just not a fair comparison. Remember in that case there was pretty much a straight line to Russia because the poison itself was Russian made and two Russian operatives were on the ground at the time. It was obviously a deliberate assassination attempt.
1: So you're saying that this looks like fear-mongering?
3: I think that's a risk when you start ramping up the rhetoric. But equally she might be right in other areas where she really is an expert but risks losing credibility here by insisting that we don't know the answer about what happened in the car crash when I think we do know the answer.
1: Mm, I mean, she put the speculation into the public arena by speaking about it at Parliament the day after the accident while saying she's only voicing the concerns of the Chinese community.
3: And then eventually, when the police say, no, it was just a car accident, she says, well, the car tyres could have been tampered with so if the car was involved in an accident, it will be a fatal one. I mean, we're starting to get into, I'm just asking questions, territory, aren't we?
1: There's something else to know too. And depending on your perspective, this will make you either more suspicious of Anne-Marie Brady or more suspicious of the Chinese Communist Party activities in New Zealand. Anne-Marie Brady says that in November 2018, someone broke into her garage and let two of her tyres down to make her car dangerous when braking.
2: Professor Anne-Marie Brady has publicly and repeatedly warned about China's growing influence, even in New Zealand. She says that led to intimidation from China. My family and I um, have been feeling, particularly in the last week, very abandoned and afraid and unsafe.
3: Now, that clip comes from a News Hub report just a few days after the tyre tampering allegations. And that incident gave rise to a letter of support from 29 academics here, including Timing Mong, saying the government needed to back Professor Brady.
2: It's very obvious that these attacks on me are connected to the Chinese government. Police, Security Intelligence Service and Interpol are on the case. Brady's asked them for protection and hasn't been given any.
3: Now, that feels like she's been hung out to dry, but this car tampering has never been proven either, has it?
1: No. The police investigated for months and never laid any charges.
3: And you've got this file as well, haven't you? Yeah,
1: well, it took me a couple of months to get it, but finally the police released their files from Operation Brady to me under the Official Information Act. They handed over 43 of 337 documents, so it is only part of what they looked at in a massive investigation. But the file does show Anne-Marie Brady's public statements about how sinister this was went well beyond what could be supported by the evidence the police have handed over to us.
3: Okay, so she went out publicly on Twitter on the 16th of November 2018 saying, quote, Yesterday my car was sabotaged. Two tyres had been interfered with. Someone broke into my garage to do it.
1: Yes, and the police investigation says there was, quote, no criminally relevant evidence to show the vehicle was tampered with. The police job sheets show if the tyres were deliberately let down, it could have happened anywhere, and in fact, they even go searching for the valve caps on a central city street in Christchurch, where the car has recently been parked. The point is, there's no proof at all that someone broke into her garage, and in fact, her husband, when interviewed by the police, tells them he has no cause for concern. Anyone has tried to get into the garage.
3: OK, she also said on Twitter that she had only noticed these two tyres were low because she took it for a warrant and the mechanic phoned her. Quote, he called me very alarmed and said it could only be sabotage; that there is no other explanation, end quote. She goes on to say that if she had braked suddenly, the car would have lost control. And in another tweet, she says, quote, Whoever did this doesn't care about human life and thinks there is no consequences for doing it in New Zealand.
1: But the police file paints a different picture. In his affidavit and in police interviews, the mechanic says he rang Professor Brady and he said, ''Who have you annoyed?'' But he meant this in a light-hearted, joking way. He does say it was suspicious because the two left-side tyres were noticeably flatter than the two right-side tyres. he says this could have been done by kids or anyone, and that he has no evidence anyone deflated the tyres. He also says he never mentioned sabotage or braking issues.
3: And the detective's investigation records are in the file too.
1: Yeah, these are these job sheets. They they show the car was safe to drive. The police say, quote, no evidence of tyre tampering, vehicle tampering, or that the vehicle has been put at risk by persons to cause harm, has been found. The detective ends by saying, unless he finds something else, I see no reason to continue with this sabotage concern with Anne-Marie's family vehicle.
3: Okay, so where does that leave us?
1: Well, I mean, sure, the police have only released 43 of 337 documents, so it's possible there's some smoking gun buried in there. But on the basis of what we've seen, it does look like Anne-Marie Brady has exaggerated the threat.
3: Now, It's not only her car, she says, was targeted. Those November 2018 allegations of car tampering followed two other claims of suspicious activity that she made to police.
1: She says her home was broken into in February of 2018 and three laptops, two cell phones and a memory stick were taken. She also told police that there were two break-ins to her office at Canterbury University.
2: I worked out that the... um, the things that were happening to me, the the, the break in at my house where valuables were ignored, um, when my work laptops and a burner phone taken to China were taken, And the police said if that's a burglary, he needs to go back to burglary school. Um, you know, you know, don't ignore valuables and conspicuous mess. Uh, break in in my office and a series of other events, including tampering with my mail at home at work. That They were designed to scare me, so I win by not being scared.
3: The police files we've been given show they thoroughly investigated the allegations that her home and office were broken into, but never found anything strong enough to bring charges.
1: In fact, they write to the SIS in December 2018 with a plea for help, saying they've had multiple complaints from Anne-Marie Brady. She alleges burglary of her home, her office and unlawful interference with her vehicle and believes the Chinese government is orchestrating these offences.
3: But if the SIS has found anything, they haven't told anyone about it, not even the Prime Minister.
2: As I have conveyed you know, repeatedly on this case, if I um, saw any uh, evidence or had evidence produced for me that demonstrated that uh, there was a case to be answered around foreign interference, I would have acted on that. Um, the police um, have... Uh, Uh, issued their findings that there were no specific organisations or individuals they could find responsibility for.
1: So, no proof that the CCP were responsible for breaking into Anne-Marie Brady's home or office or tampering with her car, and police say the car crash that killed the dissidents was a straightforward accident.
3: And that does beg the question, is she too suspicious? And given Professor Brady is the leading critic of the CCP... Are we overreacting to the threat?
1: Yeah, it's not like she's some bit player in all this. She's a genuine world expert on the CCP, a global fellow with the Woodrow Wilson Centre, and her influence goes right to the heart of the Western world struggle with the rise of China. Two,
5: in the words of Anne-Marie Brady, quote, influence, subvert and, if necessary, bypass the policies of their governments and promote the interests of the CCP globally. In quote.
3: January 2021, when the US government released its strategy of how to deal with China, the so-called Indo-Pacific strategy, Anne-Marie Brady was publicly acknowledged as a major influence on the policy.
2: After the document was released, um, one of the um, officials who was involved in writing it um, has said that my research, um, particularly the Magic Weapons paper, which used New Zealand as a case study and talked about CCP political interference, you'll see the influence is all the way through the document.
4: The sun is setting over the Santa Cruz mountains, man, so you're going to
3: get the old gleam off my noggin here. <laughs> <laughs> well, that would have been quite a sight, but, um, but yeah, we're a radio so we'll we'll stick with um we'll stick with your voice.
1: The voice of General H R McMaster is an important one in this story because it's the voice of America, and to understand the New Zealand-China relationship, you need to know where America sits in a world where competition between the great powers is heating up.
4: China, 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 China,
3: China, China. H R McMaster was national security advisor for Donald Trump for just over a year between 2017 and 2018. Not unusually for that administration, the kick didn't end well.
4: You're fired. You're fired. You're fired. You're fired. fired.
3: Technically, McMaster resigned after butting heads with Trump. Before that, though, he had a military career that took him from the Gulf War to Afghanistan, Iraq.
1: yeah this is a guy who once led a troop of nine tanks that destroyed 28 Iraqi Republican Guard tanks in 23 minutes and he didn't lose one tank on his side.
4: I had made the decision to put our tanks in the lead with my tank at the apex of a of a nine tank wedge. We then followed with an assault against an enemy position that resulted in a, you know, a furious 23 minute armored battle. Uh, And then we just, we stopped after we had nothing left to shoot.
3: So while he has been at the sharp end of combat, he's also a writer and historian who has done a lot of thinking about politics and power. And he's criticised his own country for what he calls strategic narcissism, basically a worldview that too often sees everything through the filter of what works for the US.
1: And he has a warning for New Zealand. Uh, Economic reliance on China could prove
4: fatal. I don't think it's in any country's interest to give the Chinese Communist Party coercive power over your economy. Object lesson is Australia right now.
1: Australia has been speaking up about China's political influence campaigns, its human rights record in Xinjiang and Hong Kong, and demanding an open investigation into the origins of COVID-19. In return, China has been hammering Australian exports ties between Australia and China are unraveling
5: fast. Bali was the start of a slew of trade allegations and sanctions that followed a souring of relations between Canberra and Beijing. China's tariffs of up to 215% on Australian wine, including top brands like Penfolds, will remain for another five years.
2: The Prime Minister has expressed deep concern over reports
1: China has banned Aussie coal indefinitely in an ongoing trade dispute.
5: They're
0: using us as an example to show the rest of the world just what will happen to your economy if you continue to poke the dragon.
1: Australia has lost about ten billion dollars in trade with China in the year leading up to mid 2021. But the good news for our neighbour is that it's largely found other markets for all that coal and barley and so on so far. But it does go to show that China is prepared to play
4: hardball. We have to recognise that the lore, right, the great lore of uh, of economic relations, trade relations with China, uh, is a setup. Right? It's a setup for co-option, right? co-opt you with lore of profits associated with access to the market or the lore associated with Chinese investment, but then use that economic relationship for coercive purposes. So it's co-option and then coercion. And then to conceal these aggressive actions, it's just, hey, this is just normal business practices. And I think it's it, it's time for us to, to no longer tolerate that and to recognise the danger associated with this campaign of coercion and concealment.
1: So the U.S. General, he's right on board with Anne-Marie Brady's thesis. And remember, she wrote the book on this stuff. Books, actually, plural.
2: The books that I've written have helped uh, people who were um, advising the um, the US government, both in the Trump administration and before, and in the people who are coming in with the Biden administration, as well as in other governments in Europe, uh, in Australia and New Zealand, to, both to understand the CCP better and to better understand their, um, their, their intentions.
3: Better understanding the intentions of the CCP, that is absolutely crucial to this whole story. But how do we do that? What are China's real aims? And who can we trust on this?
1: For me, so much of the story is about perception. You can almost feel yourself getting torn one way and then another, always questioning the motives behind what people are saying.
3: Yeah, that feeling follows you right through from these claims of the CCP tampering with cars and organising break-ins in New Zealand, right up to international power struggle.
1: So New Zealand's former PM, Sir John Key. He thinks the China threat is massively overblown and that they can be a force for good in the world.
3: But then he still has a very close relationship with Xi Jinping that is still benefiting his business interests.
1: On the other side, the US, they're hugely dark on China's human rights record and have been really pushing that as a crucial point that underlines their status as the good guys.
2: We represent values that our democracies represent and not autocratic lack of values.
3: But then America haven't covered themselves in glory on that front either. In recent years, the wars in Iraq and Afghanistan that McMaster himself fought in led to enormous collateral damage, civilian deaths and unstable states.
1: Yeah, and commercially and militarily, of course, they're worried about being challenged as the world's foremost superpower. So you end up in the old whataboutism game.
3: Well, let's play that game for a few minutes then. Get your sympathy gauge out.
1: Right. I always carry it with me. The worm, they used to call it in the TV political debates, where the line goes up if you agree with the statement and it plunges down if you disagree.
3: Check your readings then. General H.R. McMaster versus Sir John Key.
4: Just look at what they are doing. Look at how they have uh, engaged in a campaign of cultural genocide in Xinjiang. They, They not only have a million and a half people in concentration camps, and who knows how many how, how many hundreds of thousands or millions were in, in forced labor. Uh, but but Xi Jinping boasts of, hey, the, the people love it. They love being re-educated. In fact, we're going to build some additions onto the concentration camps.
5: Are the human rights issues that we would have some concerns about in China? I think, y- yes, we would accept that. But, but you could make that case, though. Like, in the United States, we don't like the death penalty. And my point is just that I could name you many, many countries where we would say there are human rights concerns. I'm not, I'm not in any way minimizing some real concerns in China, but I'm just simply saying it's not as simple as saying they're bad, everyone else is good.
4: And, you know, to those who, who say, hey, you know, gosh, we're getting kind of caught in the middle, you know, between this competition between the United States and China. I mean, I just want to say, hey, this is not a competition between the United States and, and China. The, and the choice is not between Washington and Beijing. The choice is between sovereignty and servitude. And what the Chinese Communist Party is doing is creating servile relationships that give them coercive power and and the ability to establish a high degree of control and influence.
5: I was talking to Obama about it once, and I said, you know, we've got a free trade agreement with all parts of one China, Taiwan, Hong Kong, and mainland China. But right at the moment, we don't have one with the United States, and you're meant to be pretty much our best friend.
3: Now, McMaster told me he supports a US-New Zealand free trade agreement.
5: Yeah,
1: I've heard that before from American politicians trying to get us on side. The point is, America's never
3: done it. China has. But McMaster says there's a danger to short-term thinking.
4: If the Chinese Communist Party succeeds, the the world will be less free, less prosperous, and less safe, and we owe it to, to future generations in the United States and in New Zealand, to compete effectively and to do it together, right? Because China will take a divide and conquer approach uh, if we don't work together in a cooperative manner.
5: Maybe I'm biased, but I've had the privilege, and I'd count it as that, as having of having a lot of quite a lot of one on one dinners and and, and and conversations with Xi Jinping. And when you really say to them, what you know, what's the what's the dream? What is all this about? What are you doing? The answer is they still see themselves as an emerging nation. And so they would say, well, we have three or 400 million people in poverty. Our big goal is to essentially, I, I, this is a bit of a crude way of saying it, but Singapore on steroids. It's, it's, to, to, it's to develop the country to a point where they are smart, efficient, actually environmentally quite sound, um, lifting people out of poverty and giving people opportunity and hope.
4: And I think that there it is a period of, of increasing danger, increasing danger to the Chinese people, uh, but also an increasing danger of, of a major... You know, military conflagration that could lead to a, you know, a destructive conflict. The South China Sea is a dangerous flashpoint. Taiwan is a dangerous flashpoint, uh, and and we've seen in- increasingly aggressive action by the Chinese Communist Party physically and militarily, uh, as it's you know, of course, bludgeoning Indian soldiers to death on the Himalayan frontier, uh, and as it's uh, extending the
5: party's repressive arm. Uh, into Hong Kong. The argument always gets put up that they will be aggressive and people say, oh, look at what they're doing on these various different uh, islands in the South China Seas that they're creating this military capability. Honestly, seriously, is that really an argument that has as much merit as what people say? These are often little assets sitting out in the middle of nowhere. I think they're far more actually about fishing rights than they are actually about a military capability. So they have landing strips for some of the aircraft in in these islands, right? You can't tell me that the United States, and probably a dozen other countries, with tremendous military capability, couldn't take out those, those, those runways in five minutes, three minutes, half a second if they wanted to. If you look in the history of China, have they really been aggressive?
3: So, how did you go with the sympathy gate? Who do you back there?
1: Mate, the needle was flying all over the place, but it has for much of the year that we've been working on this. And, you know, for me, when that happens, I come back to the writer, Zeming Mok.
3: Yeah, we both felt that we got a really useful kind of moral compass from her. She's a Chinese New Zealander who is grieving, really, that she is losing her own country to an oppressive dictatorship.
1: Yeah, a dictatorship highly skilled in the dark arts of propaganda.
0: It's not hard to get people to deny um, atrocities are happening that are almost unimaginable, because it's much it's hard to face.
1: This is the big lie sort of concept.
0: It's exactly the big lie?: Yeah. Um, big lies are easy to swallow when what they're covering up is incredibly hard to personally deal with as a community, as a culture. Um, as a society, um, so they 'll pin it on oh it 's you know it 's racist conspiracy theories or it 's um, American propaganda um, or they 'll cherry pick like um, certain like hard right conservatives who are pushing the issue who are invariably American right because you 've got your hawks and you 've got your christian fundamentalists and um, and saying, oh, you know, these guys are funded by the far right or whatever. But yeah, but what about every single human rights organisation, um, every single academic, every single, you know, thousands and thousands of testimonies from people? Um, it's all just a kind of a dance, isn't it? Um, a propaganda dance.
3: A propaganda dance some are only too happy to engage in. You
0: know, you talk about Xinjiang, that's a province holding 24 million people, you know, and even there's one million people that oh, they are they were like you know negatively you know or or, or, or brutally you know treated by the Chinese government. But there's still uh, like the other twenty three million people living there.
3: That isn't just another point of view from a Chinese New Zealander, although we thought it was initially when we started talking to him.
1: Yeah, we were very nearly badly caught out here, and we were saved by someone we'd begun to think was jumping at shadows.
3: The United Front is a massive Chinese government outfit, part of the CCP apparatus that helps push propaganda and influence politics and business all over the world. They regularly fool New Zealand politicians, duping them into appearing in photos with suspect figures, and they nearly took us in too.
1: The influence game and the United Front, that's next time on Redline.
3: Redline is made by RNZ and Bird of Paradise Productions. It's hosted and produced by Guy Nespiner and me, John Daniel.
1: All RNZ podcasts are available free on Apple, Spotify, iHeart or wherever you get your podcast. And that includes our other series, The Service, which investigates New Zealand's spy agency, the SIS, during the Cold War and the previously untold story of a raid on the Czechoslovakian embassy in the 1980s.
3: Our thanks to all the people who spoke to us for this series and were so generous with their time and insights, especially the Chinese dissident community in New Zealand.
1: The sound engineer on Redline is Blair Stagpole. Producer and studio director is Justin Gregory and our executive producers are Veronica Schmidt and Tim Watkin.